0: I think it's putting metrics in place. I mean, we I mean, like you said earlier, you can't continue to do what you can't measure. Like if people aren't held to, hey, this is what we're measuring and here's how you play into this, then it's not going to be important to anyone. It can't just be something that you say in meetings or at podiums. It has to be something real that's driven down through the organization. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity, with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io that's h-i-r-e-g-r-o-u-n-d.io now on to the episode
1: hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of breaking barriers building a higher ground you're joined again by your two favorite hosts i'm adam moore here with chloe goodry Reed, and today we're going to be discussing the intersection of esg and supplier inclusion This topic is an issue that covers everything from environmental racism to how environmental sustainability and economic inclusion have to be done in tandem. But you know what, Chloe? We did it again. Yes. Right. We started our intro with an an acronym. (laughs) We did. We
0: did. We're were making the assumption that everybody knows what it
1: means. Exactly. Exactly. Now, it is a popular topic. Yes. Right. I know that uh, personally. Uh, when we're recording this episode, I'm actually speaking on a panel about yeah. ESG uh, in a few months for the Diversity Alliance for Science group. Yes, nice. exactly. So very excited about that. But why don't we take a minute, uh, if you wouldn't mind, imparting some knowledge on our audience for those that might not know what ESG is or is like,
0: I've heard that term, but I can't quite remember it. Yes, 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 yes. So ESG is an acronym for Environmental social and governance. And it's really essentially an approach to evaluating the extent to which a corporation works on behalf of social goals that really Mm -hmm. go beyond the role of a corporation to really maximize profits on behalf of corporate shareholders. So it's looking at, it's beyond just making money, but how are we actually Mm -hmm. showing up in the world and how are we contributing and affecting communities and the environment around us and making sure that we're measuring that and that we're holding Mm -hmm. each other accountable from the governance perspective. Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly. And I think it's also important for us to remember that ESG is a component of CSR, yeah. which is corporate social responsibility. Absolutely. So if you think of CSR as the overarching umbrella, ESG is a component of that, which also fits in your de strategy and other things along that environment. But Professor Goodry-Reed, as you've defined ESG for us, <laughs> why don't you also help uh, define environmental racism? Because I think that's a term that you and I are probably familiar with yeah. just because we do this job day in and day out but for some of our listeners that could really be a new term so yeah. uh why don't you continue today's lesson and define environmental racism for us
0: I'm careful to you know be like the expert but you know in in, right. in what exactly. what I think is environmental racism is really it's kind of a term that describes environmental injustice that occurs within a racialized context, both in practice right. and in policy. And in policy yep. is where I think we often don't see it. right? But, you know, an example would be the poisoned tap water in in Flint, Michigan, right. you know, and right. I think yes. um, disposal of batteries in underrepresented mm. and underserved communities. I mean, there's so yes. so many yes. different things that I think we don't think about um, because, mm. oh, this is, you know, this area is underdeveloped or it's not as many people that live here. And I think oftentimes Hmm. we think of those areas as places where we could set up landfills or that we can poison the water or...
1: Mm -hmm. You know,
0: um, put waste in certain areas, but they don't realize, I think, Mm -hmm. the ramifications of how close that is to some of these underserved and economically challenged areas.
1: It's one of those terms that you're like, what is that? And then when somebody explains it, you're like, oh, and, and I think bringing up the Flint, Michigan, and, uh, Issue, and then also where we do dispose of things of like batteries and just general refuge. I think then people are like, "Oh, okay, I kind of understand what that means, right?" Yeah. I think another term that we need to look at too that we opened with, yeah. right? And and, and we'll we'll get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. I think it's we have to kind of lay this groundwork, absolutely, bit, right? And that's environmental stability, yeah. Right. So we're not talking about you know like plates and tectonic plates and that type of thing, <laughs> yeah. Where it's actually more of an economic term, and it's a nominative concept that stress uh, that stresses integral and tech equity and is commonly considered to have like three dimensions, if you will. You have an environmental, an economic, and a social dimension. And those three things, just like nature itself, have to interplay and balance one another out. And when one becomes unbalanced to the other two, then you have instability. And what we're trying to do is actually make sure all three meshed together. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And so then when we think about economic inclusion, which we use this term all the time, all the time, but I don't know that we've always defined it. I I don't think we have, but I love that, you know, you said, you know, those three dimensions, because when we look at Mm -hmm. the environmental, which we just defined the economic Mm -hmm. and social, the inclusion Mm -hmm. part of that means that all consumers, all stakeholders, all community constituents have access to safe, affordable financial products and services. So right. I think that and an equal access to opportunity, I think oftentimes right. we miss as yes. well. So, yes. um, you know, this goes back to just sort of our constitutional rights. Like, you know, we right. look at just 13 amendment and all these other various things that we should mm. all have equal access to opportunity. I mean, that is, you know. Mm. That's fundamental to who we are as a country and as a nation.
1: It is. It is. You know, and a lot of that fundamental uh, economic inclusion also comes back to just understanding how money works. Right. So we have to make sure that we have that we make people what we call financially literate. Right. So that's part of that economic inclusion is all the financial literacy programs you see being brought in by our major financial institutions and that type of thing.
0: Yeah. So it's a financial literacy and then it's home ownership. Mm -hmm. It's environmental protection, you know, which you talked about earlier, because when you think about, this is just a a statistic, but when you look at black Americans who are making, Mm -hmm. and I would say any, any group of of people, but this specifically is about black Americans who are making between 50 and 60,000 a year are much more likely and i think it's like 80% more likely to live in polluted areas wow. than their white yeah. counterparts making $10,000 right. a year. I mean yeah. that's significantly yeah. lower and it's so
1: very much significant.
0: You know they're making less but because of their the color of your skin you tend to not be in these polluted areas and it's so unfortunate.
1: It is so very unfortunate a lot of that goes back to generational disparities. Yes. Right. And so you sit there and go, Well, how can that be? How can somebody be making fifty to sixty live in a place that's X times worse environmentally if somebody's only making 10? Well, it goes back to generational deficiencies.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Right.
1: And 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 so that's when we really start working in on the root cause and causal factors. So it is um, I was going to say a mess, but that was kind of that's kind of a little on the nose. We're talking about uh, where we're dumping our trash, essentially. But yeah, it is. And it's something we have to fix. And it's something that corporate America rightfully has taken on rightfully as kind of you know, that they're like, we kind of caused it. We've got to fix it. So ESG puts the kind of the reporting standards around that Mm -hmm. so that we can see what progress is being made. Because as we say in business analytics, if it can't be measured, it can't be done.
0: It can't be done. (laughs) Yes,
1: exactly. Exactly. So I think that kind of lays down the academic base, you know, that we need for this. And uh, hopefully you guys will come back to this episode a few times to, uh, you know, if you forget what those knowledge is, you know, you sit there and go, man, I remember Adam and Chloe talked about ESG. Come back to this episode. We'll be here waiting for you.
0: Yes, absolutely. And so when we think about ESG and right. supplier diversity and supplier inclusion. Yeah. I feel like we sit in that S part of that, that sustainability, because when you think about, mm-hmm. you know, how do we continue to make sure that environments and communities and businesses right. are sustainable, we have to make sure that everyone has opportunity to participate in the economics of what we're doing as a nation. And if we don't have fair right. participation, then yeah. how are we ever going to be sustainable or competitive, mm-hmm. you know, as a country right. and as a nation?
1: Correct. You know, and and that's something that, you know, where I sit in corporate America, we have to look at all the time. Yeah. Right. And when ESG first started several years ago, I remember and I still am in the supplier diversity realm. It's like, why in the world did we just get, you know, ESG handed to us? I was like, if I become the recycling police, I mean, I was very naive. <laughs> I had no idea what was going you're on. You're like, wait but a like, minute. What? Now yeah. you're just throwing environmental
0: st- on us too?
1: I know. It's like, you've got stamping. it I was like, no, you don't. I-, I was like, it's a personal cause to me. I am a recycler. I love this, but I. Really don't see how this fits into yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. Right? right. Right. But when you stop and think about it, especially when we look at the G, the governance piece, yeah, right? right? Supplier diversity in its infancy started out as a, a kind of regulatory requirement. Absolutely. Supplier diversity professionals were auditors, so to speak, right. to make sure we were doing the right things in corporate America to engage diverse businesses. Right. It has matured to something well beyond that, something much more beautiful than just being. I love all my auditors, but having been one to myself, yeah. it's something even more than that. Right. right. So it makes sense when you start adding the E and the S to it as well, too. We have the social piece. Obviously, we're involved in those issues. Yeah. So then putting the environmental part in it also, it it kind of makes sense. We're already in part of the discussions. But when you stop and look at what we're trying to do with large, big box corporate America to reach some of these goals, you know, Delta has put out a zero emissions target for, I can't remember the year, but so a lot of these companies have come out and said, we're going to be zero emissions. 2045. Go, I don't. Yeah. All th- of thank them. you. I, all I of knew it 2040 like something, but I didn't all, want to say it. It's pretty it. much yeah, all 20 the 45. same.
0: Yeah. 2045. It
1: is. It is. You know, you sit there and go, I don't think you can make an electric plane. I mean, you know, <laughs> Elon Musk is doing a great job at Tesla, but I don't see Boeing converting to all electric. Yeah, don't know if I want to ride on an all-electric plane. Um, So you sit there and go, how are you going to be zero carbon emissions? Well, this is where our diverse businesses come in and kind of help save the day. Yes. Because a lot of them can sit there and go, well, we've got X, Y, and Z project where we're planting trees or we're doing this recycling. And we've got all of these carbon credits. I love it. Right? Yeah. And that's where we as corporate America go, ah, we can partner with you. You're like, great. You figured it out exactly exactly so really truly to our diverse businesses out there who are like maybe we need to pivot or you're sitting on the fence going i really want to kind of get in but i don't i don't know what to do really and truly all of corporate america is slowly but surely coming over this thing of we've got to figure out how to become reduce our carbon footprint reduce Mm -hmm. our energy consumption you know all of the different smart technologies and let me just I'm just going to say something. Yeah. I'm going to go on record official.
0: <laughs> official.
1: Official. You selling me LED light bulbs <laughs> is like telling me you do IT contingent labor. Yes.
0: Okay? Yeah. Yeah.
1: You might as well do both because I have a thousand different providers that can do light bulbs. Right. Okay? Right. It's got to be more than that. It it's got to be. be a complete... Smart city style program, absolutely right. I mean, you and I are here in Atlanta, where we record our show, right? And you know, we've got this whole smart city initiative going on.
0: Yes, we you do. Know, you know, you
1: start looking at some of this stuff going on, and a lot of opportunity for diverse right. businesses if you know how to play in the green space, right. right? You know, and i I can't wait actually to see some of this. You know,
0: it's going to be amazing. It is going to be amazing, and. I think that, you know, when we think about tapping into, and I'm so glad that you've charged Mm -hmm. the small businesses with it, because this kind of, this goes back to why supplier diversity is so important, is it's driving innovation. And the more that we continue to work with diverse suppliers that represent these communities where environmental racism is being impacted, They probably have a better idea and handle on what's going to work than a large corporation would that, you know, may not even have any visibility or a presence in that community.
1: And then we can take it even back another step. Mm -hmm. Right. So at the top of the show, we mentioned um, the environmental racism. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're going to go back to dumping batteries because I think that's that's something we need to start talking about now. Yes, because. We joked about electric planes, right? but I do think that we can see that I can't watch a show without seeing at least one advertisement for an electric car of some sorts, somebody's manufacturer of it.
0: I, we, right? I was just talking about this with my husband. I'm like, gosh, like literally every car manufacturer literally. has electric vehicles.
1: Now I've sitting there with my wife. We're, we fill up her pilot. Okay. At, I think it was, at the time of this was recorded $77 to fill. I'm like, whoa, oh my goodness. I was like, how do you feel about an electric vehicle? <laughs> right, right. You know, honestly, honestly. Um, so, you know, these are, but that all goes back to showing that it's batteries.
0: Yeah. And
1: very precious metals are in these batteries. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: I love investing. Okay. Yeah. We can have an, another entire show on that. I love investing. Okay. I'm actually invested in a company that specializes in these and is developing new technologies to recycle the lithium out of lithium batteries.
0: Wonderful. Because, I mean, we've got to figure that out. We have to. We've
1: got to figure that out. So I'm sitting here going, well, why can't somebody in an inner city or in a uh, so you know a, a, a depressed area where we're maybe dumping batteries or where they have this going on? It's like, wouldn't that be a great place to start setting up a lithium recycling? You'd be 8A. Mm-hmm right?
0: You'd probably be in an opportunity zone.
1: Might be in an opportunity zone. Hub zone. You'd be recycling yeah. the amount of tax credits you'd walk away with. And yeah. then if I'm reselling the batteries to like a Ford, a Kia, somebody like that, guess what you're giving them? <gasps> credits back because you're recycling the lithium.
0: Yes, 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 yes.
1: Right. These are the innovations we need people to start thinking about now.
0: Right. You know, and I think that when we think about you know steps that leaders can take to just make sure that yeah. they're promoting economic inclusion and sustainability mm-hmm. throughout their organization, yeah. I think it's putting metrics in place. I mean, we I mean, like you said earlier, you can't continue to do what you can't measure. Like if people aren't held to, hey, this is what we're measuring and here's how you play into this, then it's not going to be important to anyone. It can't just be something that you say in in meetings or at podiums. It has to be something real that's driven down through the organization.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And leaders have to sit there and tie themselves to that metric. Right. And I know because I have been in this position many times in my career in supplier diversity. It's like, look, here is the spend. Right. we need the spend to be here. And I am personally taking it on to get the spend to here. Yeah. Right. And that's what leaders need to do. They need to set out whatever it is they want to do in the way of economic inclusion. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that you need to hire a specific ethnicity inside or promote more inside. Right. Great. Let's do that. Is it you're going to help go into economically repressed areas and do financial literacy training? Great. Go do that. Right. Are you going to increase your spend with diverse businesses? Great. Let's make it happen. But in all three of those examples, we have to sit there and go, if I'm going to teach economic literacy or financial literacy to a group of people, how do I measure the success? Yes. Right. All too often, I have been in corporate America enough. And I know, Chloe, you've probably seen it too from where you sit. Uh-huh. They go, here's program X. And everybody's like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it goes away and you're like.
0: Like, I haven't what, seen anything from you guys other than it, that right? really nice like, marketing campaign that yeah, you guys rolled and they're out. Like,
1: Oh, we've been doing it for three years. And you sit there and go, what's the outcome? And they're like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, uh, we're doing it, you know? and And, and again, it comes back to You know, we love to talk about intentionality on this show. Right. Metrics get you to that intentionality, right? Because if you have a program and you're just doing it, you're like, okay. But if you sit there and go, we're going to affect this and we're going to teach financial literacy and we're going to help people increase their credit score by two points over, you know, 18 months. Yeah. That's measurable. Right. 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 And for some people, a two point increase on their credit score opens doors they never thought imaginable. Right. Right.
0: Absolutely. And it can change things for them. And oh,
1: well, we can start talking about generational wealth now. Yeah. Right. I mean, true change in the way a family unit operates and sets up the next generations for success. Yeah. You know, and when and we- again, it goes back to what we talked about at the top of the show. It's gen- some of these issues that we have are generational
0: issues. Generational right. issues, generational issues. Yes. And, you know, I think that oftentimes we miss it. Like, I think we think about, okay, the social good aspect. And so for some, right. these, you know, the higher yes. that they get up in the organization, maybe removed from that. And they're like, yeah, the social good is good. But yeah. do we want to continue to make an investment? And here's where I would say, right. Okay. If we're closing this wealth gap and families mm-hmm. and households are making more, Wouldn't consumption go up? Are they not spending more with your organization?
1: Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm.
0: So figuring that out, I think, is critical, too. So you can tie it back when we think about the overall ROI of ESG Mm -hmm. and economic inclusion and sustainability.
1: It is an amazing ecosystem because what you notice at the mid and small business is those owners and employees are incredibly loyal. Yes. Right. You don't have the jumping around that you see when you start getting into like the Fortune 100s. Right. Um, and and people are like, I'm in this position. I'm in that position. <laughs> at, at, at mid and small, people stay on for almost forever. But Lifers. then the ownership is loyal too. So. You know it's kind of you know daryl ashore kind of talked about this a little bit when he talked about how true kathy did business right you do business with me i'm going to do business with you yeah right it's reciprocate you see that a lot at the mid and small business if they're doing business with my large corporation they're going to go into my store they're going to go buy my product they're going to go bank where i have branches they're going to go buy cars off my lots. yeah that's just how they are they're like you know what you're one of my major providers I'm going to go get my services from you too. So we have to think about that
0: as a strategy. Absolutely. You know, and I think that, you know, just bringing up Chick fil A, you think about, you know, your comment about mid to smaller businesses, but I would put Chick fil A in that larger one. And a lot of the people that are there are lifers. And I think it's I completely agree. I think it's because they're so ahead of this, like in terms of the ESG and the sustainability, Mm -hmm. they're so intentional about making sure that things are inclusive and giving back to the community and people can get behind that. Like it, it gives yes. them a sense of pride around the company and the organization yep. that they're working for.
1: And I think the other thing that Chick-fil-A has going for them off topic, <laughs> they're still privately held. Yes, yes. They're not a public company. Yeah, Right. I cannot go on an exchange and buy Chick-fil-A stock. Yeah. Right. Yeah, They are a privately held firm, which means there's only two or three cooks in the kitchen
0: making these decisions, right?
1: They don't have to answer to a board. They don't have to answer to wall street. They don't have to answer to the government, right? They can sit there and go, this is our course. This is our mission. These are our values go and execute. Now it just so happens that the Truett family has got some very ethical leaders in place Mm -hmm. and they lead a very ethically driven company. Yeah. Have they had some road bumps? Yes, we all have. But overall, when you study the entire timeline and history of the Chick-fil-A corporation, they have shown themselves to be one of the most ethical firms out there. Right. right? And people don't want to leave. They just don't. They get there and they're good to go.
0: And on the flip side of that, like if corporations ignore (laughs) environmental sustainability, what do you think that says about their culture and their mission to consumers, to employees, to customers to the communities that they live and work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting. I'll go back to kind of my, my side hustle of investing. Yeah. Um, I think it's an indicator, right? Absolutely. We would call that an indicator. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would be very worried about the leadership right, uh, of a firm like that, because it's not like this is a new topic. It's not no. like, Oh, this is a 24 month old topic. This is, this has been around at least Hardcore for a decade, right. right? Now is it getting more and more attention? Yes, but it has been being discussed for much longer, yeah. right? Than it has been brought onto the public eye. So if you've got leadership that's just like, yeah, that, we just cannot concern ourselves with that, like on any level, I'm going to start to sit there and go, well, how are you leading this company beyond just your ESG policy? Right, you know, right. is there are there other skeletons in your closet that I really need to be worried about? And, you know, a lot of firms that, you know, rely on uh, investors for, you know, capital generation, that's that's bad. I think the other thing, too, is we have to remember, let's let's even go to a small company because it could be a small firm and go, I'm not even on the market, not even going to get there. Right. But you still have to have consumers and you still have to have the younger generation of consumers and the younger generation consumers, like we've talked about on this show before, do research on you. Right. They do research on you. It may be called. Instagram, Snapchats, uh, uh, TikTok, all these other social media channels, but they do research on you and people are out there talking about what you're doing, whether you know it or not. People are out there on the social media channels talking about what your firm is doing in these areas.
0: And making decisions, purchasing decisions based on that as well. That's yes. the critical thing that I don't yes. think people realize. Yes. Because as millennials, and, and I will carry that flag right now, Yeah, it's like- right. I you can I can't always talk to every single corporation that I'm disappointed yep. in how they've showed up, you know, uh, around the environmental or yep. around sustainability or just governance of both. And yeah. the way that I can sort of feel better about it is by making sure that my purchasing decisions are in line with my goals. So it's like, you know, you know, I'm not going to support that company anymore with my dollars because their values are not aligned with mine anymore. And so there's tons of other people and providers and companies Mm -hmm. that can also do whatever it is that you do. So I can just go to another organization to get what I need that actually has operational business goals and practices and governance that align with yes. my personal and fundamental beliefs.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I think that is critical. I think what you brought up is a critical point. There are other people in the market to do exactly what you do, whatever that good or service is. Yep. There's probably five or six of you out there in a you know city block, yes. <laughs> maybe not that small, but anyway, <laughs> uh, if we were in New York, maybe a city block, maybe, but city block, but the yes. point, maybe a city block. But the point is, don't think that you know, you're going to have just because you have customer analysis, you're going to have customers tomorrow if you're not looking at your policies and understanding how do you fit into that. Yeah. Right. And we even talked about this after the George Floyd mor- murder. It's not so much you can't just jump on the bandwagon to put a statement out there. Right. It has to be real. right with the whole. We, we talked about the Black Lives Matter movement and how people were just kind of throwing random statements out there because they Bravo. thought that was the thing de jour to do. Mm-hmm. People do research on you and they're going to find out if that message is sincere yeah. and you following through with what you have said shows that sincerity. Right. I mean, I think both of our mothers taught us actions speak louder than words.
0: Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And it comes
1: to pass people. It comes to pass out there in consumer America.
0: Yes, 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 it definitely does. So for all of our small businesses out there, as Adam mentioned earlier, start thinking yes. about ESG and now. start thinking about how your organization can be more sustainable because yep. even if you don't pivot, you know, and do something right. that addresses that, I'm almost 100% certain in the coming years, just like corporations are, you know, mandating mm-hmm. for their tier 1 to have su- supplier diversity programs, they're going to right. start asking you about your environmental and sustainability practices and hold you uh, accountable 100% no matter if you're a marketing firm, contingent labor, yep. we want to know yep. what your ESG practices are so exactly you know all our small and diverse businesses start thinking about what that means to your organization right. and how you can articulate it because at the end of the right. day it's going to be a differentiator if you get ahead of it and start thinking about it now
1: not only is it going to be a differentiator, it's going to determine on whether or not you get to come bid. Yes.
0: It's going to be a competitive right? it's advantage. It's not just so
1: much a like, hey, I'm better than the guy sitting the left to me. It's like, hey, you didn't even make it to the table, buddy. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Because we're seeing the S. The S is being discussed at my level right now right. because we want to know what is your diverse makeup inside your corporation? Mm-hmm. What's your board composition? Right. You know, what's your executive leadership composition? Right. We're asking those questions, yeah. guys. Yeah. Outright. 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 Just we're not <laughs> there's no no hidden message. We're just like, what's the composition? Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a scramble right now. Like people are there's a
1: huge scramble.
0: You know, putting responses together. But as you know, you will start to see, okay, uh you said this, you know, during when we decided to go right. with you. Now, you know, it's a year later. Let's see what kind of reporting you have around this. Can you share that with us? Because we also now have to tell our story as big corporate. And we want to make sure that we're accurately reflecting what our tier one, tier two, tier three and four suppliers are all doing. So if you enjoyed this episode... I know I did. I did too. Be sure to (laughs) leave us some reviews on Apple Podcasts and be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Reed and Adam Moore. And if you enjoyed this episode, please check out our previous shows and stay tuned for next time. See you soon.